Neurological and cognitive disorders, as well as mental illness, have long been misunderstood, misinterpreted, and feared. Throughout the years, the American Psychiatric Association has discovered and sometimes removed clinical diagnoses that end up in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Each week, my co-host and I will bring you a new disorder and provide you with all the information you need to better understand how the human brain works. This is Psyche Saturday. So here we are on our fourth episode of Psyche Saturday, finishing out the roundup of Cluster B personality disorders. We've already discussed borderline, histrionic, and antisocial personalities, so the time has come for us to discuss narcissistic personality disorder, or NPD. We hear so many people throw this term around that someone is a narcissist or that they have narcissistic tendencies, but is it really as common as people truly believe? And what makes someone go from an ordinary egotist to having a true diagnosis of NPD? Well, first, I want to start off with a little history lesson. Where exactly does the term narcissistic come from? Narcissus. Correct. I actually wrote in my notes, asterisk Dan. <laughs> because I figured you maybe want to take this part. Yeah, he was a, he was a mythological character in Greek mythology. He, I want to say, was the son of Hera. Oh, and we don't, like, I mean, if like you want to go that deep. Like a random dude. And he thought he was the most beautiful person on earth. Uh, he was a huge D-bag. And he uh, was so enamored by his own appearance that he looked longingly at his own reflection in a river and fell in and drowned. Yes, so that's actually one um, version of the story. There are multiple versions, but they all basically have the same gist. In Greek mythology, Narcissus was so enthralled with his own beauty, as Dan mentioned, he basically disregarded everyone else. And there were other people that were completely in love with him. Um, Echo followed him around all the time. Um, and there's actually a story. Um, now I'm, I'm trying to remember it completely. He disregarded Echo and he was cursed to hear her echo forever which is like where the echo comes from also so there's there's like other little things that are nuanced into a few of the different interpretations of the narcissus story but essentially yes he looked at his reflection in a river or lake or whatever it was and 
yes, one of the versions is that he fell in and died. Another version is that he was cursed to stare at that reflection forever because he was so in love with it. And he disregarded all others. So why not just make him only be able to look at himself forever and ever and ever? So basically, that's where that's where it comes from. It's people who are so obsessed with themselves that they disregard all else. According to the DSM-5, NPD is characterized as a pervasive pattern of grandiosity, need for admiration, and lack of empathy. And like the other personality disorders we've covered, to be diagnosed, you need five or more of the following behaviors. One, a grandiose sense of self-importance. Two, preoccupied with fantasies of success, power, beauty, etc. Three, a belief that he or she is, quote, special and unique and can only be understood by others who are special or powerful. Four, requirement of excessive admiration of oneself. Five, sense of entitlement. Six, exploitative of interpersonal relationships. Seven, lack of empathy. Eight, envy of others or belief that others envy them. And nine, arrogance or haughty behaviors or attitudes. Who does this remind <laughs> you of? Oh, we all know. <laughs> the funny thing is even the people who are like, yeah, 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 you thought of the same person. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. A lot of times we will see people in power who have these, um, this type of disorder, because again, it, it's, it's this, it's the sense of entitlement, uh, this, this powerful vision of oneself, um, this grandiosity, you know, that that's why a lot of times we, we will see people in power who have these, these tendencies. They won't necessarily be diagnosed with NPD, but they will definitely have traits or um, behaviors that mimic the personality disorder. And again, as we mentioned with all of these, it has to be a pattern of these behaviors. Can't just be an egotist and be like, I love myself and have NPD. Like, that's not how it works. <laughs> right. Right. And that this is one that you mentioned earlier. People get wrong all the time. Correct. Yeah. It, it's Again, it's one thing to be a self-centered person. And it's another thing to have a legitimate personality disorder. They're, they're two very, very different things. Right. Uh, again, on this list, you need at least five out of these nine traits. So if you just have a lack of empathy for others, that's not going to make you diagnosable. If you are arrogant, that's not going to make you diagnosable. It just means you're an arrogant a-hole, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, anytime you want to you wanna say someone has a disorder, they have to be significantly outside of the norm. Yes. So, like, if you just know an egotistical person, just think, how many egotistical people do you know? You probably know more than just that one. Definitely. In, in fact, 
yeah, I don't want to go down. I don't want to go down the anthropology rabbit hole too much, but obviously egotism and self-confidence are drivers of human evolution. Those people who are more likely to be confident and throw their spear at the other one are going to survive and make more people who are then also confident people. And that leads to the fact that we have many, many egotists in power. As you said, a lot of people in power are narcissistic or at least egotistical and that's why right. uh it's unfortunate but it's the thing and like i say in many of these episodes humans have been around for two hundred thousand years and we've only had civilization for like maybe 10 of those so it's going to take another one hundred and ninety thousand years before we can evolve to the point where it kind of makes sense yeah right now we're still monkeys and so we're still going to have people succeeding who are jerks yeah, absolutely. You know, the old saying goes, nice guys finish last, and, well, you know. <laughs> right. That's what it is. It's um, it, it's a, it, cliches are called cliches for a reason. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you have to be significantly outside of the norm to be diagnosable as having a disorder. If you're just a jerk, you're just a jerk. Right. So, how often does this show up in the general population? Based on DSM-4 definitions, now... 95% of the... No, I'm I know, right? <laughs> we think so. I mean... <laughs> so even though this is based on DSM-4 definitions, it still carries over to the DSM-5. I guess they haven't uh, updated enough for new statistics. It's a big book. It's a huge... There's a lot of work to do. It's a huge book. And it does not get updated very often, so... So the prevalence estimates range from range. Okay. Among the general population. Yeah. And this is narcissistic personality disorder. Correct. Uh, I'm going to start at 7%. Okay. And end at 14. Okay. It ranges from 0%. Well, that's not even possible, statistically. <laughs> to 6.2%. They need to update that. I know. <laughs> I know. I thought that that was way How low. How can you have a 0% prevalence for anything? I, right? I thought that that was such an odd You can't. It's, it's, statistically it's statistically unviable. Correct. You, you can't have a 0% prevalence. I thought that was so odd yeah, to see need, that. They need to update they that They need one. to update that. <laughs> and can you guess which gender it is seen? I'm going to guess men. Correct. Yeah. Do you know the percentage of that? Uh, the breakdown between females yeah. and males? Mm -hmm. 65-35. So, yeah, pretty much on average. Um, for males, it's about 50 to 75%. And then so okay. women, 25 to 50%, right. depending. Yeah, exactly. Um, so good. Um, we do see it in men a lot more. We we talk about it in men a lot more. Um you know, we we usually, like like we've mentioned in other ones, we usually talk about women as having the emotional issues and men having these power issues right so it makes sense right um, well yeah i mean like we've said and again i i know i apologize to everyone who's like damn it dan and your anthropological anthropological rabbit hole no it's fine that you do that because this mm -hmm. is our science right <laughs> our science experiment <laughs> but we've we talk about all the time how modern humans there's a dichotomy emotional or or developmentally between males and females in the sense that females are always taught to just sit and be quiet Correct. and men are always taught to go out and get stuff Correct. 
And so that's why you end up with men having more likelihood of developing NPD. Correct. Because they're taught to think that you should have the thing, so go get the thing. And women from from adolescence are taught, you don't deserve the thing, so you just take what you get. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Men have this entitlement yeah. about them because, right, society has told them forever, just go out and take it. Yeah. Thanks, white people. And uh, that narcissist that we were talking about earlier does just that. Oh, 100%. So, I mean, when he became what he is, um, and I'm sure you all know who we're talking about, when he became what he is, that was the first thing that psychologists and mental health professionals were coming out and saying, this man has NPD. Without them even actually, and, and obviously it's very unethical to diagnose somebody without having them be your patient, but... You can give your opinion. You can okay. give your, exactly. This isn't an official diagnosis. But to have <laughs> that many people come out and say, no, 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 this guy shows all the... I mean, he literally has, like, everything on that list. Yeah. He has all nine on that list. Yeah. There is no way that this man does not have NPD. So... Yeah. Take with that what you will. So what does this mean in regards to violent criminals? Do we find that those individuals with NPD are more or less likely to commit violent acts? What do you think? So I would say they probably are more likely to commit violent acts, but I would say that it's probably a lower differential as compared to some of the other personality disorders um you know i think it because because you as a narcissist think not you personally <laughs> because one as a narcissist uh thinks that they deserve things when confronted with the logical conclusion that you didn't earn the thing you are likely just as a human and as a male, unfortunately, to resort to violence to get the thing that you think you deserve that you may not actually deserve. So I would say, yes, there is a slight increase in propensity towards violence in narcissists. Okay. Dudek et al. examined risk factors of 51 male inpatients at two maximum security forensic hospitals in Germany. Of these 51... 19 were sexual offenders, and the remaining 32 were not. These researchers found that of the four categories observed of personality disorder diagnoses, which they categorized as antisocial, narcissistic, borderline, and other, NPD had the highest prevalence within the group of sexual offenders at 36.8%. And it was tied with other as the lowest prevalence rate within the group of non-sexual offenders at 9.4%. Through this study, Dudek et al. discovered that NPD could be considered a risk factor for those who become sexual offenders. Okay. I mean, I would say there's obviously a link between the two of them. Uh, because like I said, if you are a narcissist, then you think that you deserve all the things. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially you, you often, uh, think highly of yourself 
in terms of your physical appearance. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I could absolutely see a narcissist saying, like, what do you mean you don't want to sleep with me? Mm -hmm. I'm super hot. Exactly. You do, oh, you want to sleep with me. You just you just don't want to admit it. Or, oh, you do and you're just playing, so I'm just going to sexually assault you now. Exactly. Yeah. So it had the highest prevalence in it within their the sexual offender population that they that they observed. So Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And and I mean that's a high percentage, 36.8%. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. So to have that many of the sexual offenders actually be diagnosed with NPD it 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 tells us something that again, NPD is all about entitlement. Yeah. It's oh, all yeah. about just taking the perception of entitlement. Ever you, you want. You right. think that you deserve you these things. You think you deserve it. Mm -hmm. And if someone doesn't give it to you willingly, you will take it, however that means. Right. And in this situation, sexual offense offenses are obviously done without consent of the other party. So these are the types of people that just go out and uh, grab people by the... Yep, I was going to say that. It was the first thing I thought you about. You know what? I digress. I'm sure I'll bring that up again. Mm. And of course, with this being Domestic Violence Awareness Month, we took a look at the correlation between NPD and IPV. Buck et al. examined personality traits as related to IPV among securely attached individuals. So first, let's take a step back to explain what attachment styles and attachment theory is to provide significance to this research. So attachment theory is basically a theory of the bonds we form as adults in intimate relationships rely heavily on the bonds we formed as children with our parents or caregivers. So if we had, you know, a loving relationship as a child with the, the grownups in our lives, that means that we'll have a securely attached intimate relationship as we grow. If we are neglected as children, we're not going to have those types of healthy attachments as we grow up. Makes sense. The four attachment styles are secure, dismissive avoidant, fearful avoidant, and preoccupied. So this 2014 study looked at 27 securely attached batterers. So these are people who are the perpetrators in intimate partner violence who have what would be considered securely attached relationships. They also looked at 45 insecurely attached batterers, 40 securely attached controls, and 22 insecurely attached controls. And this was a study in the Netherlands. Previous studies have found that perpetrators of intimate partner violence tend to have insecure attachment styles with preoccupied and fearful being the most prevalent, which makes sense. I mean, you don't have healthy relationships as a child. You're not going to have healthy relationships as an adult. I mean, that's just unfortunately the way it goes. However, Buck et al. wanted to observe IPV perpetrators with secure attachment styles to note any differences. They found that among these groups, 
both batterer groups as well as the insecurely attached control group scored similarly on the NPD traits scale. To the point of this study, and in agreement with their hypothesis, NPD traits may play a role in IPV with securely attached perpetrators. And while Bennett and Johnson's 2017 study did not necessarily look into the correlation between personality disorders and violent criminality, it did find a correlation between personality disorders and clinical diagnoses within a male offender population. Bennett and Johnson discovered that inmates who were diagnosed with NPD were more likely to have a comorbid diagnosis of alcohol abuse than any other personality disorder. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So my takeaway from these studies is that if you are someone who potentially actually suffers from NPD, not just has narcissistic traits, but like legitimately has a diagnosis of a personality disorder, regardless of your attachment as a child and then your attachment style as an adult, if you have NPD, you are potentially at higher risk for having unhealthy relationships as an adult. And you are more at risk of becoming the perpetrator in an abusive relationship. And just as it goes with what we said about the sexual offenders, it's one of those things where you feel that entitlement. If somebody is not doing the thing you want them to do, you're going to make them do the thing that you want them to do. You, ha you want that control. You want to know that they are doing what you think they should be doing which is exactly what IPV is. It's all about power and control. And then with the comorbidity of alcohol abuse, we see a lot in abusive relationships that the alcohol kind of becomes a catalyst. They, they're abusers regardless if they have alcohol or not, but the alcohol kind of it, it lowers inhibition, as we know, and it allows for this attitude and behavior to come out that maybe you wouldn't normally see without the alcohol because they're able to suppress it. So it was interesting to me to read this, but not necessarily surprising to me. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised at all. It makes perfect sense. Like you said, when you consume alcohol, your inhibitions drop. So things that your id are telling you to do or driving you to do, but your ego is telling you you can't do. Um, and by the way, for anybody who's not familiar, somehow you're watching a psyche podcast, but some people aren't familiar. Um, your ego is a base is basically like your super consciousness or your supra conscious. Your id is basically your subconscious. So your id are your natural drives and desires and your ego is your higher thought processes, your logic, um, your reason. So like, why do you stop at a red light if there is no traffic? That's your ego. That's your that's your conscious consciousness telling you don't do that because it's a red light. You're supposed to stop. Your id would tell you just to keep going. So um, your id is the part of your psyche that tells you, uh, yeah, 
I, I, I'm going to go have sex with that person because I'm physically attracted to them. Acting on those impulses. Right. Yep. Uh, it's your ego that steps in and technically your super ego too, but whatever. It's your higher thoughts, thought process that right. process that stops you. You've learned that you really aren't supposed to do those things. So the effect of alcohol is to basically shift that balance of power. In a modern human being, your ego and your super ego are in control of your id. In, in, uh, cave people, you know, in, in early humans, the id was basically all there was. You know, there was, there was more of an ego and a super ego than compared to, say, a dog or a cat or a dolphin or whatever, which, by the way, is definitely present in those cases. Um, but in early humans, you were driven just by your impulses. We've developed this ability to have second thoughts or first thoughts about things um, to decide, hey, I don't want to do that, even though my, my body is telling me to do that thing. So the effects of any kind of, the effect of any depressant is is to basically shift that balance of power back to what it used to be. It, that's, that's what the human body wants to be. It wants to be driven by primal impulses. We have evolved culturally, not so much biologically, yes, some biologically, but mostly culturally and psychologically we've evolved to allow our higher thought processes to control, for the most part, our primal instincts. So any time that you inhibit that function, your primal instincts are going to regain some of that power. So to loop it all the way back, yes, if you drink a bunch, you're probably going to just act on impulses rather than think, should I be doing this or not? Yep. So that's why when a lot of, a lot of people say when you drink... Uh, and you, you know, say things or do things, it's actually what you want to do. Um, and it's just that exactly what Dan was saying. Your, your, your inhibitions are lowered and your id is just running wild, doing its thing. It's it's uncontrolled. Exactly. Um, which is what, what it wants to do. Exactly. And it's important to understand too, that everybody wants to do things that we would consider bad all the time a perfectly normal healthy nice person there it is constantly telling them to to be a shithead Mm -hmm. so don't ever think that because you have a bad thought that you are broken you're going to have bad thoughts every single day what makes you a bad person is if you act on it anyway correct what makes you a good person is saying oh yeah all right i won't do that because it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing, right? Exactly. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because uh, I was just thinking about that as well. Um, just we all have those thoughts. We all we all think about you know, um, oh what if what if that jerk down the street you know runs a runs a red light once and gets pulled over. Like, I want that to happen. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad person. It's just we all have thoughts like that. Um, some people have worse thoughts than that. Um, and again, it's not it, it's all about whether or not you act on those those quote unquote impulses. That's what makes you a good or bad person. Um, so when you're drinking, you don't have that higher thought process to say no we shouldn't do that. It's like the the angel and devil on your shoulders kind of thing. Um, your id is the devil and your your ego is your is your angel and you kind of brush that angel aside when 
when you're drinking or, or using any, any sort of depressant. Um, so exactly. These statistics aren't very surprising to me, but, uh, it's just, it's interesting to see the research to back up what I think we all have known. So who can we say has been diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder and have any of them had histories of IPV? Now, these are people who legitimately have diagnoses, not the person that we were discussing earlier. So first up is Rodney Alcala. Have you heard that name? I don't think so. No. I couldn't tell you who he is, but it kind of sounds familiar. All right. So he is known as the dating game killer. Have you heard that moniker? That sounds even more familiar. Okay. But again, I'm not going to pretend like I know what you're talking about. But that does sound kind of familiar. He was a serial killer in, who was convicted of murders in both California and New York. Um, and the murders took place in the 70s. So he was called the dating game killer because he actually appeared on the show The Dating Game. Um, like around the time that he committed the murders and the girl who ended up on like on the show, I don't remember if he won, but um, the girl who was picking the, the date um, said that I think he did win, but said that like her first impression of him was that he was very off and didn't go on the date with him. Like she was like, oh, wow. there's something not right about this guy and I don't feel comfortable. Good for you, contestant lady. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, He was sentenced to death in California, but is still awaiting his punishment because of all his appeals. So, yeah. Alcala joined the army in 1961, but was discharged in 1964 after going AWOL and hitchhiking to his mother's house. (laughs) A military psychiatrist diagnosed him with antisocial personality disorder But later at his trials, various psychiatrists also diagnosed him with, ready? We got another Dahmer here. Borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, malignant narcissism with psychopathy, and sexual sadism comorbidities. So he had all the things. He had all the things. He He was was destined to be what he became. Right. Yeah. Um... Again, it's a shame because, you know, it's easy for us to say, like, oh, yeah, that guy was just a huge jerk. Look at all this stuff that was wrong with him. You know, but it but it sucks because he didn't choose to be born with these things. No, now, but yes, he chose you, to act on them. Well, right, and that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yes, when you choose to act on things that you know are wrong, you're a jerk. But it's just, if we could, I know I'm a broken record here, I say this in, like, every freaking episode. If we could stop these things from day one, yeah. think about how, first of all, how much violence we would stop, how many lives we would save by preventing these people from taking lives and committing sexual assaults in the first place. Um, but also think about how much good, like when we talk about somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer, think about how much good that brain could have done if we could somehow have prevented it from becoming so twisted. Yeah. You know, it's easy for us as 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 humans to just say, oh, yeah, let's just throw our problems off a cliff. But at the same time, like, don't you see the value that we're losing by not developing a way to fix these things? And I know that that's a long that's a long reach. We're not going to be at the point in technology where we can modify psyches at birth, maybe ever. And and 
at best, I don't know, a couple of hundred years from now. But still, I mean, doesn't this seem like the kind of thing that there's there's tremendous value here yeah. that we're just not going after? Yeah. I mean, with Dahmer, like, he, he, you know, not that he was as sophisticated as Bundy, but he was able to get out of situations very easily. Yeah. Um, he was able to manipulate the police. I mean, there was literally a time it's un it's unreal but um he had one of his victims in his apartment the victim got away a police officer stopped the victim on the street outside of the apartment the victim told him this guy is attacking me and Dahmer was like oh no this is just my drunk roommate or my drunk friend we're, we're good. I'm going to take him back inside. And the cop was like, oh, okay, no problem. Right. And then he ended up killing him and eating him. And like, right. what? Think, think if that guy was a defense attorney. Think about how many potentially innocent people yeah. he could keep out of jail. Exactly. With that kind of ridiculous Jedi mind trick. Like, super. Or like, a prosecutor. Off, think off about how many, think about how many, you know. Right. A whole embezzling CEOs. Yep. He could put behind bars where they belong with that kind of Jedi mind trick. Exactly. It's it's unreal what the the what the psyche can do to us. It it can it can turn us into very very bad people, or it can be something that's saying to us, "Hey, no, use this for the greater good." And it's up to us to decide how we want to use it. And unfortunately for a lot of the people that we talk about, they decided to use it for the former. And thankfully they got caught, but, you know, it takes... How many of them, how many didn't get caught? Exactly. And it takes so long for them to get caught. I mean, they each, you know, they're called a serial killer for a reason. So it, it's it's something that... You know, I I don't know if I've ever actually said this on the podcast, but if you're noticing these nuances and intricacies and and strange little habits with your children, get them evaluated ASAP because you don't want them to grow up to become a Dahmer or a Bundy or an Alcala Absolutely. I mean, like I said, you know, it would in an ideal world, you know, we could just do a scan of someone at birth or or in vivo and say, oh, okay, here's here's this thing that's going to go wrong with the person. Let's just flip this gene over and it's going to be cool. We're not that we we're not going to be that for hundreds of years. We may never be that. So it's up to parents to parent. It's up to parents to look at the behaviors of their children and say and, and be, you know, Put your pride aside for a minute mm-hmm. and say, hey, maybe I did make a broken thing and maybe yep. we need to work on suppressing that those broken tendencies. Yeah. You know, it A, they're not going to grow out of it. Anyone who thinks they're going to grow out of it, you're a fool. You're genuinely a fool. No, especially with personality disorders. That's why they're right. called personality disorders. Literally, right. that's their personality. That's right. just how, I mean, unless you give them literally like a lobotomy, right. <laughs> it's not going to... It's not going to change. Yeah. Number one, they're not going to grow out of it. Don't don't think that. You're a fool. And number two, don't think that, A, this is something that you did wrong. No. You just, you just 
put one thing into another thing and let nature take its course. Right. You didn't sit there and pick the genes. You didn't stitch your child's DNA together. Correct. So you did not do anything wrong. Correct. So let's not pretend for a minute that this is that that this is something that you should be taking pride in. You know, if you built a car and the brakes go out, that's your fault. But you know, uh, yeah. So, so put your pride aside for a minute and realize that you had nothing to do with your child developing a personality disorder, and you need to for sure have that child evaluated right. and speak to a professional about how best to proceed. Because Correct. if you just ignore it, that's the worst thing you can do. If you just think, no, 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 no son of mine, no daughter of mine, that's the worst thing that you can do. And if you think they're gonna grow out of it, my God, you're a fool. It's true. I mean, I'd rather know that my child potentially has some sort of disorder than learn later down the road that they murdered 17 people. Right. <laughs> and then and then the parents, well, well that's, that was society that did that. That was the TV that they were watching. That did. No, it was your ignorance. It was the Marilyn Manson the CD that they listened to. Yeah. No, it was your ignorance of the obvious signs. It's your job above all else as a parent to watch your child, to pay attention to what they're doing. Correct. That is your fault. What what they're born as is not your fault. What they become is... Nature versus nurture. Right. Talk about it all the time. And you're the primary nurturer. Correct. So along with Alcala, we have Brian David Mitchell, who is Elizabeth Smart's abductor and rapist, who has also been diagnosed with NPD by a psychiatrist at trial. He had abducted Elizabeth with the intent to keep her as his teenage bride when she was just 14 years old. Mitchell was a homeless street preacher. That's what he claimed. Yeah. And his defense team had intended to use the insanity defense at trial. However, the psychiatrist who performed his evaluation explained to the jurors that Mitchell suffered from a personality disorder, not insanity. And I think we stress that in every episode, that having a particular disorder, psychiatric disorder, does not mean you are insane. Like we said before, having these disorders, these personality disorders, you have the choice to decide whether you want your id or your ego to take over. When you are suffering from absolute insanity or a psychotic episode, you don't have that choice. It just, your brain just takes over and kind of just forces you to do the thing. And a lot of times you don't even realize you're doing it. So that's the difference between actually pleading insanity and just having some sort of psychiatric disorder. And that's kind of what we are trying to do with the Psyche Saturday is, is to, to tell you that these people are not insane. These people don't have, quote unquote, psychosis. They're not under some sort of trance or spell. They are just choosing to do the bad thing. Right. They didn't they didn't stab what they thought was a monster coming to kill them. Right. There there are disorders that do that. Correct. Those are extremely incredibly rare. And we for will, you to actually see things that aren't. We'll talk there. about the prevalence, absolutely. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> But if you ever put a knife into a human being, 
that wasn't trying to put a knife into you, and you're not absolutely sure they were putting a knife into you, you're a bad person. Yeah. And on that note, <laughs> to tie it all back to IPV, we have Clayton Robert Weatherston, who was convicted in New Zealand in 2009 of stabbing his ex-girlfriend to death the year prior. Two psychiatrists appearing for the defense had diagnosed Weatherston with NPD. But again, this is not used as an insanity defense. Mm -mm. His defense team had other ideas in mind for this, which we will get into on tomorrow's full-length episode of Blackbird. He is our case for tomorrow's episode. Ooh, exciting. Cool. I didn't see that coming. Cliffhanger. And I know that that's a legitimately good transition because I act... As anyone regular listener knows, I don't. I come into this completely blind. I don't know any of the scripts. So if I have a reaction to something, that's a genuine reaction, and I genuinely got excited about that. Oh, good. So okay. You should be too. Woo. Mm. Yay! Yes, listeners, be excited about it. Yeah. Because it's actually it's really. Um, I mean, not not only is it an IPV case where you know we discuss um, the 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 prevalence of abusive exes, but it's actually a really interesting case due to the defense's strategy. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you're going to want to tune in for tomorrow's episode. So on that note, this wouldn't be a proper Psyche Saturday if we did not go into a little bit of the possible neuroscience of NPD. Ready? Ready. Ready. Schulz et al. did a study on the gray matter abnormalities in patients with NPD. Now, uh, the gray matter of the brain is basically where all the cell bodies are, so it, like, does all the stuff. Schulz et al.'s study examined brain images of 17 patients with NPD and 17 healthy controls. They found that the patients with NPD had smaller gray matter volume in the left anterior insula, than that of the control group. And they note that the volume in the left anterior insula was positively related to self-reported emotional empathy. Furthermore, the study found that within whole brain analysis, the results also showed smaller gray matter volume in the frontal paralimbic brain regions, such as the rostral and median cingulate cortex, as well as the dorsolateral and medial areas of the prefrontal cortex. So I'm going to explain what all of those words mean. <laughs> <laughs> the cingulate cortex sits within the cerebral cortex and is an essential part of the limbic system, which is responsible for emotion formation and processing, among other functions. But that, for this purpose, that's the main the main piece, the main takeaway. The prefrontal cortex, as we have mentioned in past episodes, is responsible for decision-making as well as social behavior. So this study basically says that they have less brain volume in those areas that are supposed to control emotional regulation, social behaviors, how we interact with the world around us essentially. So, not surprising. Right. 
Nanatic et al. also researched brain structure in patients with NPD in their 2015 study, confirming Schulz et al.'s 2013 study that there is significant deficits in the gray matter of the cingulate cortices in those diagnosed with NPD. So research is showing that this may not just be a nurture thing. As we saw with all of these cluster Bs, there is some sort of neurological deficit that could potentially be causing these emotional dysregulations. So it's important to understand that, like Dan mentioned before, especially for parents who have children who are possibly showing signs of these things, it could potentially truly be a genetic abnormality that is happening to them. There's something possibly physically wrong with their brain structure and function that's causing these behaviors. Now, that doesn't mean that they still don't have the control. They can still decide whether or not they want to move forward with the impulse that they have, but they have a little less of that impulse control than the general population. So that's all we have for this one. Do you have any takeaways that you want to talk about? Um, Are you surprised by anything? That no, we, yeah. no. That's why I didn't have an immediate reaction to that last bit that you said. It, it makes perfect sense to me. You know, we're, we're talking about this this dysregulation of the override of your higher thought processes over your your base instincts and so if scientifically we can identify the area of the brain that's responsible for that and point out a decreased function then that makes perfect sense you know if if your engine's running hot and your water pump is messed up makes perfect sense so that's it for the cluster B personality disorders. Wow, we finished a whole cluster? We finished a whole cluster. So I haven't decided yet if I want to start with cluster A or cluster C next week. So if you guys mm. have any ideas of what you want to hear about first, send those messages our way. You can email us at blackbirdadvocacy at gmail.com or you can write us on Instagram at blackbirdadvocacy. Vote on November 3rd. I always have to throw that, throw that in. Um, and, uh, you know, always uh, reach out to us if you need to, if you want to. Um, and you can find all of our platforms and all of our social medias on our link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Blackbird Advocacy. We will always put the references to these in the show notes so you can complete more research if you decide, if you, you want to look up what we discussed. And that's it. So we will see you tomorrow for our regularly scheduled full-length Blackbird. Not just that. We'll see you for the continuation of the shiny. Yes. That she dropped in front of us. Yes. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. You guys should be excited. I hope they are. <laughs> All right, guys. See you tomorrow. Peace.